what does the fifth request mean? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly cling to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Before we uh, look at Matthew 6, our scripture for this morning, and in light of the Heidelberg Catechism's answer to um, what does it mean, let's uh, ask for God's help. Father, Lord, I pray that as uh, we try to focus our attention on your word, Lord, um, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And God, this very uh, important, this very difficult uh, principle that you have in your word would uh, come alive to us this morning. Lord, we, um, we pray that you would help us to put down our pretending for a moment, our, our, our good faces, let our guards down. And Lord, uh, speak to us as we look at this if- issue of forgiveness. Father, I know in many ways it affects, um, it, it affects all of us in, in different ways. So Lord, I, I, I pray with whatever need concerning forgiveness we have this morning that you would address it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, 9 through 15 reads this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sin, those who sin against us. It's that two-letter word, as, that makes this thing so difficult. And as the Heidelberg Catechism um, mentions in Lord's Day 51, forgive us just as we are fully determined to forgive our neighbor. That's scary. You know, sometimes I am not fully determined to forgive my neighbor. It's a very tough thing to have our forgiveness, the forgiveness we receive from God, linked to our ability to forgive. And I want to, uh, I want to start by looking at really tough sin, so that when we get to easy sin and, and forgiveness of easy sin, it'll be a piece of cake. I want to start off with a story from the life of Simon Wiesenthal. And if you know uh, the story of Simon's life, he was a famous survivor of the Holocaust. And uh, Simon, prior to World War II, was a happy architect. After World War II, and after 89 of his relatives were killed by Nazi soldiers, he spent the rest of his life trying to bring SS soldiers to justice. And in an incredible book called 
that he wrote called um, The Sunflower, Simon talks about this one particular story. He was in a concentration camp that was... Um, that had a, a hospital, a German military hospital attached to it. And it was his job to go in and clean the rubbish out of all the offices and all the trash bins in the hospital. And one particular uh, morning, a German nurse, military nurse, grabbed his arm and said, follow me, and brought Simon to a row of wounded SS soldiers that came in from the Eastern Front. And she, she sat him down right in front of this soldier named Carl, who was fatally wounded in the head. And Simon sat down. Carl reached out and grasped Simon's hands and said, I need to ask for the forgiveness of a Jew, without which I can't die in peace. And then he began to, to, to uh, relay to Simon all the terrible things he had done to the Jewish people. And he became specific and started to share this one story, and I want to get the facts straight. With a shaky voice, he began to confess that in a Russian village, the troops rounded up all the Jewish men, women, and children and squeezed them all into one little house where they had planted large cans of gasoline. After all the Jews were locked inside, they hurled grenades through the window to set the house on fire. The soldiers were then ordered to shoot anyone trying to escape. The young soldier painfully recalled, Behind the window of a second floor, I saw a man with a small child in his arms. His clothing was alight. By his side stood the child's mother. With his free hand, the, mother, the man covered the child's eyes and then jumped into the street, and the mother followed seconds later. Shaking, he said, we shot them. I shall never forget the image. It haunts me. The soldier then goes on to say he needs to ask forgiveness so he can die in peace. After a short moment of silence, Simon looks at the man, then without saying a word, stands up and walks away. The soldier dies unforgiven. At the end of telling this story in his book, Simon asked the reader, what would you have done? What would you have done? Man, this is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus is asking us to pray, forgive us as we forgive others. Forgiveness is an issue all of us must deal with at some level. There's no skirting around it. All of us at one point or another have been hurt by someone. We've been betrayed by someone. We've been the object of disloyalty or been wronged in, in some way or another. For some, the hurt, hurt comes in form of a, a brutal crime. But for others, the wrongdoing isn't a criminal act. It might be the broken trust of a longtime friend or the unfaithfulness of a spouse. Or still for some, it's simply small yet piercing careless words or demeaning actions that friends or family have inflicted on us. Whatever the hurt done, the hurt is real and it doesn't go away. Not surprisingly, we as human beings have come up with all kinds of ways to deal with hurt. 
Sometimes we try to ignore it. Ah, it's no big deal. Suppress it, rationalize it, excuse it. We can bury it so deep within us that our brain can actually trick us into thinking it never happened. But I think for most of us, we sort of lock up our hurt in a little box and stick it in our back pocket. And we sort of forget about it until that person's name or face comes to mind. And then we take it out and we remember the bitterness. We remember the hurt. The Heidelberg Catechism hones in on this principle of reciprocity. Forgive just as we are fully determined to forgive our neighbors. You know, we are quick to do a lot of things with our hurt, but one of the things we aren't quick to do is forgive it. Did God actually set up this standard of reciprocity? It doesn't sound fair. We're supposed to forgive just... We're supposed to um, receive forgiveness just as we dole out forgiveness? Well, you know, actually, God does this with a lot of other core values, not just with forgiveness. He does this with generosity. Luke 6, 38 says this. God, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God sets up this rule of reciprocity with giving, with generosity. If your hands are clenched, stingy with all the stuff you have, your time, your skills your abilities, then you'll find yourself unable to receive the many gifts that God potentially has for you. He does this with love in, in a sort of way. He's, we love because he first loved us. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Hey, look, I'm, I'm blessing you first. I'm loving you first. Now, now reciprocate. Love one another. God often does that. He says, follow my lead. Follow my lead. So I want to um, address this issue by looking at three biblical reasons why Jesus calls us to forgive others. First, comes from uh, Leviticus 19.17. I'll read that to you. Le- Leviticus 19.17 says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you'll not share in his guilt. That's a tough one. It says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Instead, call him on the carpet. Get the truth out there. Rebuke him frankly so you'll not share in his guilt. See, because hatred is evil. Anger's not evil. Anger that is managed well is not sinful. It can be very helpful as long as we don't let it control our actions negative, neg- negatively. Anger can spur us on to address and fix what's wrong in our world. Mismanaged anger is bad. And hate is a whole other story. It's altogether e- evil. And if we're following God's master plan for living, the Bible says we're only to hate one thing. Hate what is evil. Romans 12, 9. Hate what is evil. So, in other words, we're supposed to hate hate. Hate evil. But people, a human being is made in the image of God and is one of his own creations. We can hate the sin that they do. We can despise the sin 
that they do, but we're not supposed to hate that person or dislike that person. It's a tough thing. So when we harbor unforgiveness, we continue to hold a grudge to the point where we develop hate, where we develop strong dislike. And when we do that, we're causing ourselves to sin. The Bible calls us to forgive other people because in doing so, it keeps us from sinning. Second reason the Bible gives us for why we are called to forgive, and this is brought to our attention in the first part of the catechism, because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners, that we are any of the sins that we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. We're to forgive because we have been forgiven. I mentioned a little while ago that all of us at one point or another have been hurt by someone. We all have been betrayed or have been the object of disloyalty or have been wronged in some way or another. But the flip side of that coin is we've been the afflictors of hurt. At one point, we've all hurt someone. Maybe we were mean. Maybe we betrayed someone's trust. Maybe we withheld help. Maybe we were selfish or excluded or denied. Our capacity to hurt one another is really extraordinary. Laura and I were at the Woodfield Mall um, a while back, and we were riding the escalator up to the next level. And up on the next level, there was a, uh, I assumed it was a mother, father, and, and son. And the son was somewhere between 10 and 13. Not, not quite sure, but it was, a, it was a nightmare scene. You could see the impatience, the harriedness, and the son was just like, gimme, 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 let's go here, let's go with, and, and the mom was frazzled, and she kept saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. It was, you know, you just bristle. And then I heard these words that just made my heart sink. Sometimes I wish you were never born. Now, I know kids can pester. Now, I know kids can frazzle your patience. So how about, uh, hey, hey, you reckon everybody's time. I said, no, we can't do it. Let's move on. Those words, I know for a fact, had to have sunk in to that little boy's soul. We have an uncanny ability to hurt one another with our words and with our actions. Most of you have heard us talk about God's forgiveness or Christ's sacrifice a million times. It's what the church should do. Well, I want to talk about it in slightly different terms. I heard a pastor recently talk about how, as Christians, we should be asking the question, what can I do to help? It's a very Christian phrase. What can I do to help? Sacrifice, service. But then he went on to say that, you know, that's really the main theme of the Bible. God says, what can I do to help? And, uh, you know, at first I thought, mm, is that really the main theme of the Bible? But then the more I thought about it, and later on that day, and, and uh, actually for the last couple of days, I've been kind of scrolling through the Bible and thinking about that. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. First, you have Genesis, the story of the fall of man. You have Adam and Eve, and they're living the good life. They got everything they need and more, but they want what they're not supposed to have. And so 
They eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the very tree God asked them not to eat. And as soon as they do, they realize that they're, they're naked and they feel ashamed for the first time. And they begin blaming one another and relationships are breaking down. And they begin hiding from God and their relationship with him begins breaking down. That short chapter explains a lot about the human race. From that point on in human history, it's been a downward spiral of hurt and pain. More and more we decide to do things our own way instead of God's good, sometimes difficult, but good way. The more we choose our own way, the more selfishness, the more greed, the more jealousy, the more mismanaged anger, the more pettiness, the more discontentment, the more envy, the more arrogance, the more apathy sprout up. Large parts of the Bible contain God showing up at various times and in various ways saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? The culmination of his asking comes in what we'll begin to celebrate next week, starting uh, with the first week in Advent. Jesus took on human form because in a way, God asked himself, what can I do to help? The answer was Jesus, God in the flesh, taken on human form, entering our weakness and showing us by his teachings, his example, his ministry, God's grace, God's truth, God's love. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus extended to us once and for all God's forgiveness. See, while we were doing our own thing, while we were hurting ourselves and everyone else, Jesus died for us. God showed us love stronger than we could ever love. He showed us patience deeper than we've ever seen before. And he showed us forgiveness that was sacrificial. Forgiveness like no other. And when we receive that forgiveness, we tap into a new way of life connected to the design, the purpose, and the power of our creator. He designed life to be lived his way, and we, when we do it, it's full, it's rich, it's meaningful, it's purposeful, it's satisfying. It's not pain-free, it's not void of hurt, but now we're anchored and empowered by the creator of the universe. We're to forgive others because God has first forgiven us. That's reason number two. We should forgive others because it keeps us from sinning. We should forgive others because God first forgave us. And then lastly, we should forgive others because in mimicking our Savior, there's healing and victory over the hurt. When following our Savior's lead, when following his example, there's healing and victory over the hurt. You're familiar with the old saying, time heals all wounds, right? You know that's false, right? The only way that's true is if it's a clean wound. But most of our interpersonal wounds aren't clean. It's full of greed or selfishness or jealousy or anger or resentment or bitterness. That's poisonous. Time doesn't heal those wounds. In fact, they grow and fester, growing our hate, growing our resentment and bitterness. There's a medical statistic that says holding grudges and lack of forgiveness decreases the production of serotonin in the body. Serotonin is that happy stuff that makes us smile. 
a lack of forgiveness depletes that. It depresses us. It brings us down. When we harbor anger, when we burn bridges, when we hold grudges, we enslave ourselves to the memory of the action committed against us. Lou Smeads, in his book, Forgive and Forget, states that our own memory is a replay of our hurt, a videotape within our souls that plays unending reruns. You get hooked on the bitterness like a junkie. You see, there's a terrible, there's a terrible irony built into the unforgiving, uh, into un- unforgiveness. Whether someone has betrayed your trust or hurt you in any way, hate will fester and actually chain ourselves to that pain. So even though we think we're, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to forgive them, what we're doing is actually grabbing onto them and connecting them to our lives. There must be release from the bitterness or the hate or we'll be forever grounded to its unfair pain. Forgiving others frees us from the hurt we don't deserve. I'm not saying that we should deny what happened or excuse what happened or forget the hurt that has been inflicted. In forgiving, we admit the truth of the situation. We confront the person with that truth, and then we release the hate we have for the person. We don't minimize the pain or the danger or the, or the anger, but we give over the hate. Smeed later says in his book, when you release the wrongdoer of the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life, and you set the prisoner free. You set yourself free. We should forgive others because it keeps us from sin. We should forgive others because God forgives us first. And we should forgive others because in following our Savior's example, there is healing and victory over hurt and pain. This morning, I believe that most of us here are affected with forgiveness or lack of forgiveness in some way. Is there someone in your life who has wronged you? We're entering the holiday season. We're going to be around family, you know, distant relatives, co-workers, friends, neighbors. Is it time to do an angioplasty of our souls using the stint of forgiveness to unclog our spiritual arteries? The application is really simple, and I'm going to close with this. Some of us have work to do. Where Jesus is asking us to pray, forgive as we forgive others. Some of us have work to do. When we get home, some of us need to make a phone call. When we go out into the fellowship hall, maybe some of us need to have a conversation with another person. Whatever it takes... Let's unclog grudges, bitterness, unforgiveness, and let the power of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness flow freely through our veins.